You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff Poteet and I get to serve here as one of the pastors, we're so glad that you've chosen to join with us here uh, in person. If you're watching us online, we're so grateful that you continue to join with us. And if you are in the Crosspoint Center, we're glad that you've chosen to make that the venue that you choose uh, to worship God together with us here at Scott's Hill. We're so glad that you're here to start uh, our new, new summer series uh, that we've entitled, Who's That? Which is a time for us to look at some of the, the stories in the Bible that maybe aren't as familiar to us as some of the main stories that we hear on a regular basis and to learn how those stories and the people in those stories uh, can help us to see some of the timeless truths that God has designed for their lives to teach us about, for some of the things that we are to glean from their lives and so we can apply them in a way that honors him. So today, uh, we are going to begin our time by playing a little Who's That trivia game, okay? You guys ready? You guys like trivia? How many of you are trivia fans? A few of you, no, some of you don't want trivia fans, okay, so. All right, so we're gonna do a little Who's That trivia. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna describe somebody for you and what I want you to do, whenever I'm done describing them, I want you to shout out who you think that person is, okay? So you to shout out who you think that person is. Okay, here we go, first person. I ran from Egypt and returned when God told me to. I spoke to Pharaoh about letting God's people leave. Moses, I didn't even get to get all the way through the stuff I had written down. All right, so Moses, you guys got that one. Good job, Moses. Yeah, so we know about Moses and all the things that God did through him. Okay, next one. Jesus commended my sacrificial giving. I only had two cents to my name. I gave it all away. The old lady? <laughs> That's exactly what it says in the Greek, guys. The old lady. No, it's, uh, yeah, you guys know her. She's the widow in, uh, in Mark chapter 12. Uh, she gave all that she had, even as it related to uh, her generosity. Okay, next one. I was the youngest son in my family. I was best friends with the prince. Okay. I killed a giant of a man. I was the second king of Israel. David. Okay, good job. You guys did great on that one. Fantastic. You guys are, are most of you, well, not most, some of you are three for three. All right, next one. I had David's resume memorized by heart. I knew where to find Jesse and his family. I am one of the first, maybe only, talent agents in the Bible. Who's that? Samuel, that was trepidation. Ah, maybe not. Anybody else want to give it a guess? All right, so this is actually a story about a, an unnamed servant that was Saul's servant in 1 Samuel 16, 18. So you guys remember when Saul had the, the evil spirit that was tormenting him. And he said, I need somebody that can play the harp. And this guy, we don't even know who he is. He said, I know a guy. I know a guy, his, he's the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He plays the harp. He's a man of valor. He's a strong man. Saul went and got him and brought him back. And that is the beginning of David and Saul's interaction together. So that's, that is the Saul's servant in 1 Samuel chapter 16. All right, last one. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I persecuted the church. I saw a vision on a dusty road. Saul who became... Paul, good job, guys. Okay, so what I, what I wanted you guys to see there 
is just what I think revealed in our conversation is that we know pretty quickly the big events in the Bible, the big people in the Bible, the people that uh, seem to have significant major opportunities to give glory to God. They have major positive impacts in their lives, but oftentimes we don't remember the smaller people in the Bible, the people whose names we don't know. Uh, We don't see how God uses the seemingly minor people, maybe even people that are obscure or in situations that they don't want to be in for his purposes and for his Glory. So today we're going to be looking at a story in the book of 2 Kings. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we're going to be looking at a story in the book of 2 Kings. Now, by way of introduction, the book of 2 Kings does have some of those major events with major people. Think about Elijah, the prophet. He gets caught up in a whirlwind with chariots and horses of fire. Now, who would not want to see that? That would be a phenomenal experience to see something like that happen. But we also see the minor events people whose names that aren't part of our children's storybook Bibles, people whose lives we don't know much about at all. And why would God do this? Well, he's writing this book to a group of people who aren't in their own land and they need the big events to remember that God is still powerful and they need the smaller events to know that God is still with them and God is still able to use them in the midst of the situation that they're in. So we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be today, where we're going to meet a minor character who has a major impact in the life of one man. 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we read this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin our time together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that it has have timeless truths even for us today. And we pray that you would speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Now, today you may be wondering, well, you just said that this is a story about a minor character who has a major impact, but we see the guy's name right off the front of the bat. Well, here's the reality. We're not talking much about Naaman today. He is the major character in this story. And some of you guys that are Uh, Bible scholars say, well, God's really the major character in all of the Bible. That's true, right? But in this story, Naaman's life is the one that is examined. So we're not talking about Naaman today. We're going to be talking about the little girl. Uh, She's a minor character in the Bible. And as we look at her life, I believe that there are three lessons that the Lord wants us to learn from this little girl in 2 Kings chapter 5. The first lesson that I believe the Lord wants to teach us is this. Great influence is not reserved only for great people. Great influence is not reserved only for great people. And I know that some of you maybe even right now are getting a little defensive and maybe, you know, you're getting a little bowed up to say, you know, you're just, you're telling me that everybody isn't great. Well, here's the reality in the world that we live in. 
There are very few people whose names and influence are recognized. And I wanna let you guys in on a little secret. Ours probably aren't in the mix. <laughs> Ours probably aren't in the mix of the, the who's who of our society. But the reality is, it doesn't mean that we don't have the opportunity for significant influence in the lives of people around us. The story that we look at here does begin with a great man of influence. His name is Naaman. Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. So we think of words that describe Naaman, words like successful, courageous. He is arguably the second most powerful man in the nation of Syria. His position would have afforded him things that most of us, if not all of us, would want. He had the three Ps that everybody wants in their life. Naaman had power. He was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He had all of, of the army reporting to him and his only report, the only person that he had to report to was the king. He was a powerful man, but he was also a man of great prestige. He was a great man with his master and he was held in high favor. The king uh, looked to him as a great man. He was, maybe the king had lots of people who reported to him, but in his eyes, Naaman was on the top of the list. He was highly prestigious. What comes with prestige and with power, the third P, he had many, many possessions. We know this if we skip down a little bit into Second uh, Kings chapter five, that whenever he goes to look for a cure for his leprosy, he takes hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of material with him to try and secure a cure. See, in fact, from every angle, any way we look at it, Naaman had it made. Naaman was living the American dream before the American dream was ever dreamt of by anybody. He was the one who had uh, all the possessions. He had the power. He had the prestige. He was the headliner of the local parties, the, people that, the, the person that people came to see. If there was a speech from Naaman, everybody would have wanted to come and hear him speak. He was the one that everybody wanted to rub shoulders with. Well, at one point in his life, he was. <laughs> because you see, there's a reality about Naaman is that he had a problem. His problem is that he was a leper, a contagious, infectious skin disease that would be transmitted very, very easily. It would cause discoloration and lumps in your skin and on your skin. It would result in deformity, disfigurement. It was covering his whole body and there was nothing that he could do to get away from his reality. It's at this point, while learning about this great man, that we're introduced to a little girl. We're introduced to a little girl. And this is how we were introduced to her. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. This little girl, we know virtually nothing about her. We don't know her name. We don't know what city she was from. We don't know what her upbringing was like. We don't know who her parents are or if she even has parents any longer. All we know is that she is a slave. She was kidnapped from her home in Israel. She was sold into Naaman's, or slavery unto Naaman's wife. She has absolutely nothing. 
And we look at her from the world's perspective, we might even be able to say from the world's point of view, she is nothing. So why would God highlight her? Well, this little girl is a lot like you. She's a lot like me. She's a lot like the people that were reading this letter. You know, sure, there are people like Naaman who have a worldwide platform whose names are associated with influence. Think of people like Elon Musk, LeBron James, Rihanna, Iron Man, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, people that the world hears their name and there's influence associated with it. And while there may be some of you guys here today that have that or maybe will have that in the future, most of us won't. And so the question that we have to be able to answer is this, can I, even in my small sphere of relationships and people that I'm around, have any kind of significant influence in the lives of those around me? And I believe that part of the lesson that we learn from this little girl is that God's answer is a resounding yes. Even in the situation, maybe even the seemingly most insignificant from a worldly perspective position in life, God can use us to have great influence in the lives of those around us. And here's what I love about this little girl. She does not let the seeming insignificance of her station in life silence her when she has an opportunity for significant influence in the life of another person. Guys, if we look at this, she gets three verses. Her life is described for us in three verses. And I know what you're thinking, she's in the Bible, so she must be important. And yes, that's true. But in the scope of human history, apart from this story, these three verses, we would never have known she existed. We'd have never known anything about her. In fact, we still don't know anything about her. We don't even know her name. If we see her in heaven, we won't even know who she was. We will be going around looking for the little girl in 2 Kings chapter five. While her influence may not seem like much in the world or to the world, guys, it meant the world to one person. It meant the world to one person. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're an entry-level technician on the job and you're thinking, man, if I can just become manager, then I can have influence. If I can just become the director, then I can have influence. A lesson for us today is this, don't wait until you reach that manager or director role in your position. Use the platform God has given you today to reach those around you. Maybe you're an upcoming freshman, you're, you're moving into high school and you're gonna be a freshman. You think, you know what, when I can letter in all the sports as a senior, then people will listen to me. Then I'll be able to talk to people and they won't, they won't look down on me. Well, today you can use the influence God's given you as a platform for making much of him. Maybe today you're a stay-at-home mom. You think, wow, nobody sees what I'm doing. Nobody sees the investment that I'm making on a day-in and day-out basis. But to the kids that you're investing in, it's a priceless investment in their lives. And God sees every bit of effort you put in. And it's a beautiful way to make much of him. You see, the beauty of this contrast between Naaman and the little girl is that we see how God uses unexpected people to affect great change. And the question we can come away with is this, why wouldn't he use me? Why not me? Why wouldn't the Lord use me if he used this little girl in such a phenomenal way? We learn even in this that great influence isn't reserved only for great people. But the second lesson that we learn from this little girl is this, sincere faith 
prevails in challenging circumstances. Sincere faith prevails in challenging circumstances. You see, even we, though we aren't given much information about him, we, her, we can deduce from her story and from her interaction with Naaman's wife that she has held firm to her faith. Though her world and her life has been turned upside down, though she's living in a foreign land, her faith in the Lord caused her to flourish rather than to fail. You see, it would have been easy for her to huddle up, for her to shut down, for her to give up, but she didn't do that. Notice what she says. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. You know, putting ourselves in the position of the first readers of this book. These are people who were in exile too. Maybe for them, they were questioning God's wisdom, saying, God, why would you send us into exile? And then they read a story about a little girl and then maybe their, their question even gets higher. A little girl, you would send her into exile? But then they read this story about her faith, her sincere faith in God's ability to do things beyond what are imaginable from our perspective and maybe their faith is encouraged. Maybe they're shocked at her faith. Maybe they see that she believes that God was bigger than the circumstances that she was in and that he could use her right where she was. You know, who knows how many times she cried herself to sleep as a little girl? Who knows how many times she missed her mom and her dad, her brothers and her sisters, wishing that she could be back at home. And by all accounts, this is not the life she would have chosen for herself. And yet in the midst of the circumstances, these circumstances that seem unimaginable, she exudes a confidence in the character and the ability of God. She has learned something even at a young age that many of us, it takes a whole lifetime to learn. And it's something that Jerry Bridges talks about in his book, Trust in God. It's about his wisdom. She's learned what God's wisdom truly is. This is what Jerry Bridges says. He says, God's wisdom is this. God always knows what is best for us and what is the best way to bring about that result. You see, in the midst of this trial, she could have become bitter. She could have shaken her fist at God and said, God, I don't trust you anymore. But instead of becoming bitter, she becomes a bold witness for the Lord. In this trial, she could have become fearful, but because of her faith, she remains faithful. And why is this? It's because she remembers all the stories that her parents told her when she was younger. She remembers the stories about God's faithfulness, about God's power, about God's provision. And she trusts that God is not held captive to the power of a man, but orchestrates all of history to bring about his purposes. And the fact that she is in captivity, she finds isn't reason for her to mope but it's reason for her to minister. She, she finds herself in a long line of heroes of faith, some whose names we do know, some whose names we can call to our attention very quickly, and some whose names we will never know. People who live God-honoring lives in situations that they would not have designed for themselves. One such story is the story of Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. Some of you may be familiar with their story. They were sisters. Uh, and along with their family, they were, uh, during World War II, they were, they, they were um, part of hiding Jews uh, from the Nazis. They would hide them in their home and they would take care of them. Eventually, they were arrested. The whole family was arrested and they were sent to a, a women's concentration camp called Ravensbrück. 
And it was there that God did an amazing work through these two sisters. Uh, they had a great opportunity, even in the midst of crammed and crowded barracks, where there was barely enough room to move. Hundreds upon hundreds of women crammed into this space, sleeping on rotten, rancid straw beds. As if this weren't enough, there was one additional piece that made this even more disheartening and discouraging and almost unbearable. Fleas. In this place, the barracks were swarming with fleas. And the question came to their mind, how can we exist in this kind of a situation? How can we live here? And it prompted Betsy to pray. She prayed that God would give her an answer to how to live in this place. How can we survive? How can we prevail? And God gave her an answer from his word in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Many of you may have this memorized. It says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And for Betsy, it was like, a moment of illumination and the lights went off and she said, that's exactly what we can do right now. We can pray and give thanks in all circumstances. We can give thanks for everything about this barracks that we are in. So Betsy begins giving thanks, but Corey was a little bit more hesitant. So she had to be prompted a little bit more from Betsy to start giving thanks for all the things that were around them. Eventually she did. So they began to give thanks. They looked around and said, we can give thanks for the fact that we're together. So they gave thanks to God for that. They began to give thanks for the fact that they had not been, uh, they had been checked whenever they came in, so they were able to bring in Bibles. So they had Bibles that they could share with the other prisoners. They gave thanks for the vast number of women that were there with them, even though they were so crowded in that they could hear the word of God. And then Betsy did the unimaginable. She said, thank you, God, for the fleas. At this, Corey was, was incensed. And she said, Betsy, not even God can make me grateful for the fleas. <laughs> Betsy said, give thanks in all circumstances, not just the pleasant ones. Fleas are the part of this place that God has put us. So Betsy and maybe a not so excited Corey stood between the barracks and gave thanks for the fleas. Now, this would be a great story just about us giving thanks to God for all things that he's done in our lives. But this isn't the end of the story. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health got worse. Over the course of time, she was able to stay inside with the people, with the ladies who were, who were really, really sick. She wasn't forced to go outside and work. She was able to stay inside and, and continue to knit and make socks and do other things. But because Betsy was a quick knit, she was able to get done before lunchtime which meant that she was able to have the whole afternoon, hours upon hours, to be able to share the word of God with the prisoners that were there. She was able to do this undetected because the guards never seemed to venture very far into the barracks. So whenever we hear this and, and, and Betsy is doing these things and, and then one day Corey comes in and Betsy just looks, she's glowing. She's excited about something and Corey says to her, you seem to be extremely pleased with yourself tonight. And she says, you know, I've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room. Well, I found out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes. So we asked the supervisor to come in and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door and neither would the guards. And do you know why they wouldn't come in? Because of the fleas. 
They wouldn't step foot in because this place is swarming with them. And you see the, the, the picture here is the trial that these ladies were going through, which they thought was so unimaginable, was paving the way for them to be able to share the gospel with hundreds upon hundreds of women that they would not have had the opportunity to share the gospel with. It increased their worship in their great God. And we see even for us today that the things that we think are so unimaginable that we could never take another step forward. Maybe we feel like we're the little girl in exile, or maybe we feel like we're in a room that is filled with fleas. God is saying to us, you can trust me in the midst of whatever situation you're in. You can trust me in the midst of whatever trial you are walking through, because even though you can't see what good is going to come of it, as God, I am perfectly wise. And I know exactly how this is going to work for your good and for my glory. You see, in the midst of our trials, we don't have to respond the way that everyone else responds or how the world tells us to respond. Rather, we can run to God and find a sufficient help to strengthen us to prevail in the most challenging circumstances. You see, God's desire is that we trust him no matter the nature of our circumstances, which leads us to the third lesson we learned from this little girl. The third lesson is this, trusting God leads to transform lives. Trusting God leads to transform lives. I love this one probably the most because it shows how this little girl's trust impacts those that were around her. This little girl who has a huge faith, rather than surrendering to the bitterness of her circumstances and wishing upon Naaman every bit of torment that leprosy could inflict upon his body, which if we're honest, is probably what we would have done. We probably would have said, God, make him pay more. God, make, make his finger hurt a little bit more today. God, make everybody look at him and laugh. That's not what she did. No, compassionately, trustingly, convincingly, she shares with Naaman's wife the way that he could be healed. Notice what she says again. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. 19 English words is all it took. Less in Hebrew. 19 hope-filled words. 19 truth-filled words. 19 life-transforming words. 19 words began the process of this Syrian commander humbling himself submitting himself to the life-transforming work of a merciful and gracious God, which led me to ask the question, what if I only had 19 words to share with somebody? What if I only had 20 words to tell somebody how their life could be changed? What would I say to them? What would you say to them? If you had 20 words to give them hope, what would you say? Well, we know what this little girl said. She said, if only he was with the prophet. Oh, how I wish that he could go and see the prophet. There's healing there. There's grace there. There's hope there. And after this, Naaman's wife told Naaman what the little girl said, which set in motion the remainder of the story for Naaman. He went to the king. He had a letter sent to the king of Israel. He went and met with Elisha the prophet. And there he was healed of his leprosy. After this, we read about Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 
5, as it continues, it says, Then he, Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. Do you guys realize that if this little girl had not shared with Naaman the transformational power of God, he would never have been healed. He would have never, he would have never had this step of faith where he was able to proclaim to the world that there is only one God, the God of the Bible. There would be no account of Naaman being healed or any transformation in his life. So you see her trust in the Lord, led her to speak of his power and through her testimony, Naaman's life was transformed. Trusting God leads to transformed lives. Not only was Naaman transformed, the little girl was transformed. Her faith was deepened. She was stronger in her commitment to the Lord. But not only were Naaman and the little girl transformed, those who heard this story in its immediate context for future generations of Israelites who would read this all the way down to us today are able to read of God's power and his grace and in the midst of their own exile. Can you imagine the people reading this, being reminded that God is still at work? He may seem absent, but he is still working because trusting God always leads to transformed lives. In fact, trusting God is the only context in which life transformation is even possible. Not only in the lives of those in the Bible, but also for us here today, because there's one person who trusted God completely. And his trust in God led him to sacrifice his life for you and for me. Notice what Matthew writes about Jesus. It says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Continuing on in Matthew chapter 26, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And a little bit further on, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. You see, it is Jesus' trust in the Father that led him to the cross, where he died in your place and in mine. And apart from this sacrifice, we would still be in our sin. We would be without hope. We would be without help because we see that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished something that we could never accomplish for ourselves. Notice what Peter writes in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, all of us, that he might bring us to God. You see, Jesus' death on the cross is the only means by which we can have a relationship with God. His trust in the Father compelled him to go to the cross so that we could have eternal Life And today, if you're here and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, he offers his perfect record of obedience, his perfect record of trust, his sin-covering death on the cross and his life-giving resurrection. He offers it freely to you to be accepted by faith and transferred to your account so that you can experience his life-transforming work in your own life. If that's you today and you're 
You're saying, that's me. I, sound, I, I don't know that I know the Lord and I don't know that I'm walking with him. I don't know that my life has been transformed. I'd love to talk with you after the service about how you can make that step today. But for those of us who are believers, this message is an encouragement for us to use the positions of influence that God has given us for his glory. Because the reality is this, great influence is not reserved only for great people. He has given you a place today to be influential in other people's lives. Not only has he taught us this, he also teaches us that in the midst of every situation, we can be assured that sincere faith prevails in challenging circumstances. So we can trust God no matter what we're going through. And as we trust him, we can be confident that trusting God always leads to transformed lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today again. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, you would use it in our lives to make us more like Christ so that we can influence those around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.